Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is the John Oakley Show podcast. And away we go, Hour 2. It is a great day for Talk Radio. It's the Thursday edition. We've got our panel coming by shortly. Topics worthy of discussion. The one I tried to uh, initiate in the latter stages of the last hour, we'll have to rekindle that. Would you switch to an electric car if charging stations were readily available? Since the environment minister earlier in the first hour was talking about doing that, uh, part of the plan to reduce emissions and uh, meet the target set by, well, the Paris Climate Accord in 2015, to which we apparently are signatories, and uh, the provinces play in ball, even though they've actually uh, killed the cap-and-trade and have taken the Trudeau government to court over the imposition of any kind of a carbon tax regime. They've got their own plan, and whether or not that makes muster or is considered appropriate from the federal point of view uh, remains to be seen. Rod Phillips said as much when he was with us in the last hour. But it's interesting because uh, there's another story that's come out and uh, it has to do with Saudi oil. We know the story because we're importing Saudi oil. Uh, you know, I don't know how many millions of barrels on the annual basis, but uh, the fact that we're buying it from them instead of buying our own product or getting our own product to market, because ours is deeply discounted, as you know, uh, it's now 10 bucks. It's like 38 $40 lower than the American price. We're selling it to the Americans. It's the only market we've got for export. It's become a real hot political potato out west especially. Uh, and there's a group that's actually taken out. It's Ontario Proud, uh, which, you know, is kind of controversial in some people's minds. But they've taken out an ad uh, where they've got bus or I think subway uh, car wraps and whatever. And it says StopSaudiOil.com. And apparently, uh, because they wanted to issue a press release through Canada Newswire, which is kind of this generic news aggregating service, uh, it was nixed because it seems like it was uh, being discriminatory towards Saudis. <laughs> Go figure. But uh, this is something that will make uh, our topics worthy of discussion, panel discussion, shortly. Uh, along with the cost of illegal border crossers, it's really hurting uh, the bottom line. Something, you know, next year it'll be $400 million annually. That's just the federal cost. Provincially and municipally, it goes on and on and on. But, uh, you know, instead of just dwelling on those indignities to the innocent, I wanted to talk about something else that's been uh, a hot topic of discussion of late since the St. Mike's College for Boys story came out about hazing and uh, how that got uh, out of control, cost... You know, the uh, principal is job. And now you've got professional hockey players talking, too, about when they were playing junior. Uh, it also was uh, a very traumatic time for them. Danny Carcillo actually uh, was one mentioned in a recent article, and Danny Carcillo played with the Sarnia Sting. He's won two Stanley Cups with Chicago. I think he played in Philly and a couple of other teams as well, but two Stanley Cups. And yet he says he's never really gotten over this. And a lot of players uh, who have been subjected to this kind of hazing humiliation carry this baggage uh, 
on in perpetuity, even through professional careers. And so I wanted to dwell on that for just a few moments. We've been joined on the line by Jay Johnson, Associate Professor at the Faculty of Kinesiology and Recreation Management at the University of Manitoba, and he's an expert in this regard. Professor, good to have you on The Oakley Show. Good afternoon. Thanks. Happy to be here. Well, I'm kind of curious, the whole hazing thing, you know, uh, as I came up through the ranks, I guess, you know, uh, I saw it in its mildest permutations, but, you know, I I guess it was always considered to be just part and parcel of a rite of passage or a ritual, but I never understood the point or the purpose of hazing. Is there one? Well, you know, that's a great way of of looking at it. Uh, I've been researching this and, you know, talking to athletes and former athletes like yourself and coaches and administrators for, you know, 25 years now. And that's the thing that still sort of confounds me the most is when we ask the question, what purpose do you think this is serving? And the answer really kind of confounds the athletes too, right? Because what happens is it becomes normalized behavior. It was done to them. They really wanted to be a member of this team. And we know there's powerful forces, right, that pull us towards wanting to be a part of something or be a part of a specific team. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so in a lot of cases, you know, we'll, we'll compromise ourselves and do things that maybe, you know, we feel is a little uncomfortable or we wouldn't normally do, but those forces really pull us towards wanting to belong. But once you're in, you're in. And then you become the ones who do the hazing. You know, you're the ones with the power too. So it creates this vicious kind of little cycle where, uh, you know, it just keeps perpetuating itself. And as I said before, it becomes normalized, you know, it, it becomes what's done, it becomes what's part of being on this team, you know, and in, 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 in certainly in the case of, of, of men, of, of being defined as a man too, right? It's a test of fortitude. And do you measure up? Mm-hmm. But it, it can also be self-defeating, can't it? Absolutely. And that's what's at the core of, you know, what we found is that when teams believe that it's bringing them together and it's bonding them, uh, it's actually doing the opposite in a lot of cases. And Danny and uh, Ryan, I certainly commend them for coming forward and sharing their stories. Ryan Munch, you're talking about the goalie with Sarnia. Exactly, yeah. He, he just came out uh, publicly yesterday, too, and supported and described some of his stories, right? It's really difficult to do, particularly in the world of sport, you know, to, to talk about being abused and how it's affected you this many years later. So it's important that we hear these stories and, and, and we keep it going uh, because it is still going on to a certain extent. Well, in Carcillo's case, he mentioned that even a coach or two, a management got involved. Yeah, and that's not an unusual part of this story, right? Because they were a part of, of the culture as well. They were former athletes. Uh, they become our administrators, they become our coaches, and then they also consider it to be normalized behavior. So it's not a surprise. I've heard this story for many years, you know, through many of the stories of former athletes and certainly former hockey players, that they were active participants in it as well, or at least knew that it was going on and sanctioned it or, or, you know, certainly didn't speak out against it. Now, we've seen a little bit of a shift, I'd say, in the last 10 years or so, where there's been a lot more public scrutiny and awareness, and certainly administrations have been clamping down somewhat to try and uh, eliminate hazing, but in most cases that's meant a zero-tolerance policy, and that simply in of itself doesn't work. But is there an impetus for it, or what's the significance of it? Other cultures, I'm sure, you know, have had rites of passage or rituals that have been uh, kind of akin to hazing, haven't they? Absolutely. As long as we've had societies, if you look around the world, uh, cultures have always had rites of passage 
you know, usually from boyhood to manhood or uh, girlhood to, to womanhood, you know, to test themselves worthy to be a part of that community. And our contemporary institutions are no different, and sport's a great example of that. You know, we've had longstanding traditions in a lot of specific sports of hazing and welcoming new members onto the team and putting them through some type of rite of passage. And I actually support the, the ceremony itself and the rite of passage. I would just argue that in most cases, you know, teams are going about it the wrong way. All right. Well, that wrong way often enters the realm of sexualization or sexual humiliation. I mean, you tell me, there are degrees, I'm guessing, of hazing. Obviously, you know, having somebody uh, wear a stupid beanie on Frosh Week is one thing. But then, uh, you know, when they're being stripped naked and their buttocks paddled uh, with a goalie stick, that may be a bridge too far. Yeah, you're right. I, I really consider it to be a spectrum, right? On on the one, one end, you might have something like you described of wearing, you know, clothing that uh, maybe looks a little ridiculous or identifies them, you know, to, as belonging to a certain group or a team, all the way to the other end of the spectrum where we see sexualized hazing, where where we've gotten some of the details, uh, alleged uh, incident at, at St. Mike's. So, you know, you have to... You have to suss it out because not everyone experiences everything the same way. Even wearing a silly beanie or something for some people might make them feel uncomfortable and and trigger that sense of like, you know, what's this all about? What are we doing? And that in of itself can then plant that seed of, you know, kind of discontent and not being able to trust their teammates because they're making them to do something that really, for all intents and purposes, doesn't make sense if we think it's it's pulling us together and bringing us together and bonding us when in fact it can be doing the exact opposite. Again with Jay Johnson from the University of Manitoba who's uh, done extensive research on the whole aspect of hazing and uh, athletic culture. You know you mentioned uh, women as well. I mean gender-based hazing how prevalent is that uh, and does it take different forms than male-based hazing? Yeah that's a good question and one that uh, I've been fielding a lot on, on these media calls. Uh, there seems to be a lot of public interest in the fact that women are also hazing in, in the arena of sport. And I think there's a couple things going on. One is that uh, women's sport, unfortunately, tends to fly under the radar. You know, when, when you look at sport reporting in the media and the images that uh, most spectators are consuming, it's about 96, 97% male even though our participation rates are, are much closer to 50% men and women, boys and girls participating in sport. So that's one factor, I think, is that it's just not in people's consciousness, right, that, that women and girls are necessarily participating in sport or, or high-performance sport. The other thing that's going on is in the last 20 years, you know, we've seen an increase in girls and women in particular sports like hockey, uh, like football and like rugby, that were traditionally the do- domain of of men and boys. So, unfortunately, one of the trends that we're seeing too is that over that period of time, they seem to be adopting a lot of the same types of hazing ceremonies that their male counterparts are are engaged in. And quite often, there's this kind of cross pollination effect where you know the men's team will be at the women's initiation or vice versa. And unfortunately, you know, where we could have seen a departure and sort of a creation of a different type of of uh, history and tradition in, in women's sports, uh, it seems to be converging and we're seeing a lot more similarities. Although I qualify in saying that 
well over that two decade period of time, I've heard a lot of stories uh, on men's teams that involved broomsticks or <clears throat> hockey sticks, liniments, a lot of the stuff that uh, Danny actually described. There has been sexualized hazing with women, but not to the same extent. And yet you're talking about sports that are fairly aggressive, hockey, rugby, uh, that kind of thing. Like hazing with the chess club seems like it would be a, a milder version, if at all. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I agree with that, too. I think there is a spectrum, and uh, I think it's important to parse that out, too. But something that we may consider to be, you know, something that we would go through to upset us or trigger sort of post-traumatic stress like we're, we're seeing uh, Danny describe right in the media where, where he said when he started reading the details of, of what went on at, allegedly at St. Mike's, that that really, you know, brought back all of his memories. And that's one of the main reasons that he came forward publicly to share his stories too and kind of pry the lid off of, you know, what was going on in the OHL at least back at the time when, when he was involved in the sport of hockey. And yet he came through a professional career, won two Stanley Cups. Uh, so the lingering effects uh, still may be, may, you called it PTSD, I guess. Uh, is that something that uh, is fairly common then? Well, to be honest, I haven't done specific research in that area, but certainly from what I've read uh, from him and others that have been coming forward, uh, he points to the fact that, yeah, you know, uh, he looks around at a lot of his teammates, or former teammates that he played with, and uh, he sees a lot of issues that he's dealt with and has mentioned this publicly, substance abuse, so drug and alcohol abuse, uh, relationship issues. And he points the finger at a lot of this toxic culture of masculinity that's embedded in sport. And there's certainly, I have a lot of colleagues that have done research in that area specifically as well. So I'm sure there's some connections to be made. Interesting discussion. Wish we had more time. I appreciate it, Professor. Thank you so much. Thanks. My pleasure. You got a Jay Johnson again from the University of Manitoba doing extensive research on sport and hazing and uh, the whole culture thing as far as that's concerned. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. 